Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome. Welcome to you, those of you joining us online. And um, I was the, uh, we're continuing in our series called uh, On Mission. And uh, the title of my message today is, is Sleepwalking. Um, does anyone in their family or maybe you're aware of that people have told you, um, does anyone know anyone who, who sleepwalks or has, you know, has a thing or maybe you've had kids that have, you know, sleepwalking? Um, my son, my son Carter, I asked him just so you know I, if I could share this, and he said it was okay. Um, my son used to sleepwalk when he was little, and um, my, my wife and I loved it. Uh, <laughs> I miss it, to be honest with you. Um, we loved it for different reasons. My, my wife loved it when Carter would sleepwalk because um, she would be able to get her growing little boy to unwittingly snuggle with her in his sleep. Because, um, you know, when kids get a little bit older, they don't want to snuggle as much. And, um, and so she would get this, you know, have this sleepwalking kid to come snuggle with her, um, and he would have no idea what was going on. And she milked it. I mean, she really milked it. The poor kid, he was just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. And I loved it for a different reason. I loved it because I love, like, messing with a sleepwalker is hilarious. <laughs> It's hilarious if you've ever done it. If you've got a kid that's sleepwalking and you're missing out on this opportunity, it is awesome. Um, that's why I miss it. Um, I would be like, you know, um, Katie and I would be like watching TV, you know, the kids would be in bed, and then uh, we'd hear Carter's door open and he would come into the room. And if you've ever, like, seen a person that's sleepwalking and you wonder, they kind of have, like, this permanent, like, stank face. They're just kind of like, kind of like this. And I'm just like, I was like, does he need something? I was like, hey, bud, what's up? And he, uh, he, would, he wouldn't say anything. And automatically, a big smile would come across my face. I'd be like, dude, he's sleepwalking. <laughs> and so before my wife could start to like, get him to come snuggle her and ruin the moment, um, <laughs> I would start peppering him with questions, random questions. On the spot, I would be like, uh, be like hey, buddy, uh, did you see that spotted unicorn flying through the ocean today? And he would be like, yeah, dad, don't be silly. And I'd be like, hey, bud, are you hungry? You want me to fix you up a cup of dirt to eat? And he, I mean, literally, I would sit there and record his answers. They were hilarious. We would have whole conversations. And he would be like, as much as my questions were off the wall, his answers were just as weird and nonsensical. And so in the morning, we'd be like brushing our teeth and be like, dude, you won't believe what you said last night. And we, I would share with him all the cool stuff that he had said, and, and he would have absolutely no recollection of any of it. He would have no memory that he was even up, that we had a conversation, that we talked about anything. Absolutely hilarious. Please take the opportunity if you know somebody who, who sleepwalks. It's, it's worth your time. Apparently, um, I was looking it up. Apparently, people can do a lot of things when they're sleeping. Um, there's like sleep talking, which obviously I, I got my son to do. Um, sleep walking, which obviously sleep eating. People will sleep eat. Um, you know, you'll, they'll find themselves like going in like, who ate the rest of the yogurt? And it's like, I did in my sleep. I didn't even realize it. Um, sleep driving. That one's concerning. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently Google says it is. And so... Um, and then there's apparently, there's even something called sleep crime, like people committing crimes in their sleep. Um, like, I didn't do it, officer, I was sleeping, must, dang, must have been that sleep crime in again. Like, 
And some of you are thinking, like, that's a thing? Like, I'm going to, I'm doing that next time, right? Like, you get caught, you know, you're robbing a bank, and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> sleeping. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, officer, it wasn't me. It was me sleeping. Um, my point is this, that um, people can actually go about doing regular activities and, and be sleeping right through them. In fact, one of the most interesting and probably sobering warnings that we find to churches in the New Testament time and time again is the threat of sleepwalking. Not actual sleepwalking, but like going to church, having church, doing church, but simply going through the motions, um, appearing to be awake, appearing to be alive, but spiritually sleeping, um, disconnected from the life of the Spirit. And um, I want to read a few scriptures. We're going we're gonna to end up in Romans, but um, the Spirit of God warns the church in Sardis in the book of Revelation about this. And uh, it's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. I'm gonna, I'll read it for you, and just, you can just kind of listen as it go or read it on the screen. It says this, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. This um, warning for the church in Sardis is pretty intense. Um, he's like, you got the reputation of being alive, but you are the walking dead. You're, you're zombies, essentially. Wake up. Um, and I can't help but think, as we go down through and as you see time and time again these like warnings of sleepwalking, like, what if the greatest threat to us as the American church, as American Christians, what if the greatest threat is not religious persecution, it's not the removal of our religious liberties, it's not even the degradation of cultural morality around us. Like, what if the greatest threat is us falling asleep in church? Having the reputation of being alive, but, but actually being asleep and not knowing it. Like, I wonder, for the church in Sardis, when they got this letter, did they know they were sleepwalking? I doubt it. We very rarely know that we're sleeping until we wake up, right? And I think that if you were in the church in Sardis and you received this letter, you probably would have been surprised. You would have been maybe even a little offended at this letter, because they had a reputation, the Bible says right there, like you have a reputation of, of being alive. Like at the time of the writing of this letter, Sardis was actually a pretty big church. They had a, they had a very big meeting place where they were meeting in. Like I think that maybe they were even having really good church services. Maybe they, um, they've been growing. 
Maybe they had a kickin' children's ministry. They, they probably, it doesn't even say anything because the, the first four churches, like it doesn't say anything about them living in open sin. Like they're, they're doing good things. They're probably singing really great songs and maybe even recording originals. Like they are hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. Going to church on Sundays but not allowing that to affect the other 167 hours of their week. And the Spirit of God says, you're, you're sleepwalking. It, it's time to wake up. And what's, what's even more interesting is that, you know, we can look at like the church in Sardis and be like, okay, well, that, well, that was back then to, to this book and the church, you know, and it, it, all these churches in Revelation. But Paul addresses the church in Ephesus and also in Rome. Um, in fact, the, the scripture that is on our bracelets that we went through um, our 21 days is actually part of this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it starts out and it says this, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then it says, so then be careful how you walk because of that. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And Paul writes to the church in Rome something very similar to the church in, in Ephesus, and it's even more direct. This is what he says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh." Like, so we see it in Sardis, we see it, you know, in, in Ephesus, we see this to the church in Rome, like this theme that kind of keeps popping up in these warnings to the churches in the New Testament that, like, you could be sleepwalking and not even realize it. And what's interesting is, like, especially in, 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 as Paul talks to Ephesus and he talks to the Romans, like, he addresses not just wake up, he addresses this idea of like you need to know and understand what time it is. He says in, to the church in Ephesus, he's like, make the most of your time, right? In the church in, in, in Rome, he says, understand the time. The hour has already come. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And so when it comes to waking up from your sleepwalking, the first key is this, understand what time it is. What time is it? And when we talk about time, biblically speaking, there's really two words that are used for the, uh, the word time in, in the New Testament. And there are two Greek words. One is chronos and one is, is kairos. They're, they're very different, though. The, 
Chronos is kind of how we measure time. It's, it's kind of sequential time. It's specific time. Chronos is, is how we, we, we measure time. We tell time. We schedule it. We budget time. It's what we see on a clock. So we know it's, it's 9, 12 in the morning. That's what the Chronos time is right now. Um, but Kairos time is different. Kairos is more of a season of time, an opportune time, um, the right time, or the, the fullness of time. And the word that Paul uses when he says understand the present time is not chronos, it's not, it's 9.13, you got to know what time it is, it's, it's the kairos time. In other words, Paul is saying to the church that he's calling to wake up from your slumber, get up, wake up from the dead. He's saying perceive the season that you're in. Understand, not what time it is, but understand the opportunity that you have right in front of you right now. The fullness that you're walking in at this moment, which, which is really difficult for, for people like me because, because we live within and we measure our days by chronos time. In fact, I get frustrated when, when God's kairos doesn't match up with my chronos the way that I think it should. Like I've given him this amount of time and he promised this and it hasn't happened and it's been a week and the promise isn't here yet and I've been waiting. In fact, I've been watching and I put it on my calendar and he hasn't delivered in the chronos time that I was hoping and his kairos seems to be, seems to be delayed. Um, and it's kind of like what we talked about last week, the already but not yet. In our chronos time, we wish that God would hurry up and he's waiting for the fullness of time, the most opportune time, the right, the right time. And it's, um, I, I always want like a difficult season to, to be over in, in the chronos time that I've allotted for it. But God measures time differently than we do. We measure in seconds and God measures in seasons so different and absolutely maddening, isn't it? When, because it's like sometimes we will wait. Well, look, if you look at like the hall of faith in Hebrews, like so many of these people that like poured in and their diligence didn't actually even get to see the fulfillment of the promise in their lifetime. Talk about the difference between Kronos and Kairos. God says, your job is to continue to do the last thing that I told you to do and be diligent in that. And you will see, hopefully, the promise come to fruition. But our job is to continue to trust, to walk in faith, that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says that he will do. Um, which means that, that our job is not to put a timeline on God, but rather to perceive and to, and to respond to the opportunities and the seasons that he puts right in front of us. And so the question that, that every single one of us, no matter where you are in your faith life, the question that we have to wrestle to the ground is this. Are you being watchful and awake to what God is doing in the season that you're in? Let me say it one more time. Are you being watchful and awake to what God is doing in the season that you're in? Or are you just waiting and wishing that the season would pass? 
So many times it's like, man, I just, I just can't wait for this season to be over. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Just don't, don't think just because you're in plowing season that I'm not doing something in your plowing season. You need to be aware and awake to what it is that I'm doing no matter what the season is, even if it's a season that you'd rather avoid. God is at work in every season of our life. And so you may be waiting for like, you know, for many of us, it's like, I, I just can't wait for the, for the next great awakening. When, when is revival coming? When is renewal coming? I'm, I'm waiting for another great awakening. But the reality is that many times God is waiting for you to awaken to him. Because <laughs> I always think that God should be more focused on what other people should be doing. I honestly, I think that he is, he is not paying attention to you guys enough. Like he needs to be paying much more attention to the things that you aren't doing. But what I find is that God is, seems to be much more focused on me and what I should be doing. And I really wish you wouldn't because I feel like he's way off. Like I feel like I'm doing, I'm fine. I'm good. Stay in your lane. Like, you know, I got this thing. You, if you just focus on the, the rest of the people and the rest of the Christians and the rest of the, then, then we could move forward. And God's saying, Actually, you're waiting for the next great awakening. I want you to awaken to me. So understand what time it is in the season that you're in. Be aware and awake. Rise from your slumber to see and perceive and respond to what it is that God's doing in the season that you're in. And then he continues in verse 11. He says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. There is this sense of urgency in him. I don't know if you catch this. It's like, you know, you, you hear it in the Sardis, you hear it in Romans, you hear it in Ephesus. Like, there is this sense of like, the time is here. There is urgency. Be awake. Wake up. So not only understand what time it is, the second thing is to wake up. Paul is saying to the church, like, you think you have more time, but you have overslept. Wake up. You may not even be aware of it, but you're sleepwalking. Yeah, you're going, you're doing things, you're eating, you're criming, you're driving, you're talking, you're walking, but you're, you're sleepwalking. You're sleepwalking. How many of you know that, um, that it's one thing to wake up from sleep and it's another thing to get up out of bed? Here, here's, <laughs> here's what we know. You can wake up, but if you don't get up, you'll fall back asleep. Is that not true? Like, it happens to me almost all the time. Like, if I, well, I can wake up, turn my alarm clock off, I, you know, oh my gosh, I woke up. Oh, I've been sleeping this whole time, huh? And I fall right back asleep. If I don't get up out of my bed, then I will not stay up. And we talked a few weeks ago about um, Sir Isaac Newton's first law of motion, that objects at rest tend to stay at rest unless acted upon by an unequal force. And those of you who have a teenager that likes to sleep in will understand this law all too well. Like how in the world can a teenager sleep till noon or later? It's crazy. Here's the answer. Because they just don't get out of bed. It's not that they're sleeping the entire time. They just don't get up. That's, that's how you stay in bed till one o'clock in the afternoon. You just don't get up. 
In high school, I remember this, like, um, so I had a, the old school alarms. You didn't have phones and things like that that you had right next to your bedstand. And I, uh, old alarm that was like, ah, 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 you know, that, oh gosh, horrible, still makes me just, ugh. Um, I used to have to put it on the other side of my room in order for me to wake up in the mornings. So I, because I would literally, it would go off and I would have to get up out of bed and run across the rooms, get up out, wake up, get up, and then walk across the room to turn off my alarm. It was the only way that I would actually stay up. Because the, the snooze button and I had like a love-hate relationship. When it was right next to my, my bed, I was like, you know, just nine more minutes, just, just nine more minutes, just nine more minutes, just nine more minutes, just nine. And I would spend so much of my morning hitting the snooze button, just nine more minutes. And it's the same mentality when it comes to the Spirit of God warning the church. It's this reality that we can be shaken awake uh, the alarm can go off in a church service. We're like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm awakened to God. I'm awakened to the reality. I'm awakened to, to the, the, the spiritual realm where God is speaking to me. I've come alive in him. And then we walk out the door and hit the snooze button. We can, we can be convicted and, and hear the word of God and then hit the snooze button. We can, we can make a decision and like, okay, you're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig deeper. I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible in a year and then hit the snooze button. You're going to be in a baptism service. and be like, you know what? I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to do this. I've been saying that I'm going to do it for a while. Snooze button. So part of this calling that we see time and time again here is like, understand what time it is. It's time to wake up. And once you wake up, get up. But once you're up, what next? How are we supposed to look alive? Not just, not just look alive, but live. How are we supposed to go from sleepwalking to walking on mission? What does that look like? The next point and the last point is this, get dressed. This is like, for some of you that got kids, you're like, man, I got to get this. Pastor Justin, he's like, all right, wake up, you know, get, understand what time it is, wake up, get up and get dressed, right? This is kind of like, it's normal stuff, but when it comes to even spiritually speaking, this is the thing that, that Paul is telling the Romans. He's telling the, the church in Ephesus. We'll read it right here in, in verse 12. It says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And then he says this, and this is so key. Don't miss this. He says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Those two things. There's two things that he says here to do. The first one he says is to put aside the deeds of darkness. And then once you've put aside the deeds of darkness, then to put on the armor of light. And you have to do both. And actually you have to do one before the other. Because how many of you know that the first part of getting dressed is first undressing? It's weird if you don't. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're like, is that that's true? Yeah. The first part of getting dressed is taking off your jammies, okay? And hopefully you're wearing those, right? Like the, the first part of, of getting dressed is taking off the clothes that you slept in because the clothes that you slept in are dirty. You gotta put, you gotta put aside the deeds of darkness so that you can now put on the armor of light. So my son, um, my, I know I keep throwing him under the bus today. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, my son Carter, when he was about three to four years old, so it was a while ago, um, he came downstairs one morning, my wife remembers this very clearly, 
and he, uh, he had like, he looked like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. For those of you, like, I don't know if you're younger, you probably don't even know what that even means, but it was just like, he's all puffy, he's big, huge, and he's always been skinny, and so he's like, he's walking around, and, and, and the top part of his body is like, literally like twice the size as normal, and um, it looked like he had like 10 layers of shirts on. And uh, my wife, he comes down, my wife goes, hey, bud, um, how many shirts do you got on there? And he goes, all of them. <laughs> now, this is a really cute thing for a kid to do, right? Like, I mean, it's silly. It's kind of cute. He literally had 10 shirts on. Every single shirt that he had in his drawer, he just decided to put on that morning. Um, but I think it's a really great picture of how often we try to clothe ourselves in Christ. Um, this is what it looks like when you make Jesus an add-on to your life rather than to be clothed in him alone. It looks pretty weird when you wear the same clothes that you wore the day before and you just keep adding more layers. Um, it would be like somebody... It would be like somebody coming to faith in Jesus and saying like, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, but refusing to repent or to turn away from sin or to put aside the deeds of darkness or to live a holy life, or to allow the Word of God and the, the leading of the Holy Spirit to change anything about you or to tell you, or to even think that it would have the opportunity and the ability to speak into your life for change. You'd be like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put Jesus on top of what I'm already wearing. And then Paul starts, well, he starts meddling in our stuff that he should probably mind his own business about, but he doesn't. And, and in verse 13, he starts naming your jammies. Okay, he literally does. He starts naming your jammies. Verse 13, he says, let us behave decently. These are the deeds of darkness, he says, to put aside your jammies. As in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. To which any 21st century Christian may think, Paul, you need to stay in your lane. Because in the real world, we got to do that just to be able to do business. That, if you understood, that's what, that, that's what 21st century looks like. Come on, get with the times. That really doesn't apply to me right now. Like, my sex life really has nothing to do with God's business. In fact, I think that he just wants me to be happy. And so, <laughs> stay in your lane, Paul. Like, I hear what you have to say and what the Bible says, but I can go on Google and AI and find 50 websites that will agree with me. So... I don't know what that's all about. See, as long, as long as we think that God is only giving advice and suggestions to live by, we will never feel the urgency to wake up. Never feel the urgency to get up, to cast off our sin, and to put on Christ. As long as he's just kind of giving good ideas that we could take or not take, we will never, we will never snap out of sleepwalking. And Paul reiterates it in verse 14. He says this, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
So he, he talks about jammies and um, all the things that you should, you should, you know, lay aside, sexual morality, debauchery, all dissensions, jealousy, all of that. But then he just kind of says, like, close yourself to Christ and, and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And um, I'm about to step on everybody's toes here. So, um, see, sometimes the things that God asks us to cast off or to put aside aren't necessarily, like, bad things. Sometimes um, he asks us to put aside just the desires or the inclinations of the flesh, things that, that simply can be anything that we put above him. So, if, if you were to clothe yourself with Christ, like, like Paul says, if you're to be living on mission like we've been talking about, then there can be no adjective before the word Christian in your life. Do you realize that God does not make conservative Christians? He doesn't make progressive Christians either. He doesn't make white Christians or black Christians or gay Christians or straight Christians. Did you know that? Like He, do, he makes Christians. Um, and one of the things we learned this way back in grammar school, in, when, we, when we learn about grammar, is this. Like, the adjective always informs the noun, which means that wherever the adjective is, it informs the description, the purpose, and the agenda of the noun. So if you say, well, like, I'm a liberal Christian, then you're saying that you are primarily informed by the liberal agenda, if you say, like, oh, I'm a gay Christian, then you're saying, like, I am primarily informed, my Christianity is primarily informed by the, by the gay agenda. If you say I'm a conservative Christian, then you're saying my Christianity is primarily informed by the conservative agenda. And so we end up seeing our life through a lens, refusing to take off our jammies and to simply be clothed in Christ, concerned with pleasing him. Let me remind you, when we talk about being clothed in Christ, folks, you need to be clothed with power from on high. You need his Holy Spirit to be leading you, guiding you, directing you, correcting you, telling you every step that you take. And as long as you have an adjective before your Christianity... You will be continually dictated by that adjective which speaks into it rather than saying, you know what, I've cast off all that stuff. I am clothed in Christ I am because that's all God makes. He just makes Christians. I don't know if you realize this. He just, he just literally saves people out of the crap that they've been in, pours in his spirit, and causes them to walk in holiness. Those are the people that he makes. We only find division by the adjectives that we choose to put in front of ourselves. There are no different versions of Christian. There's no junior Holy Spirit. It's only the adjectives that we divide ourselves by. Hmm. All throughout the Bible, we are told to repent. John the Baptist says, repent and be baptized. Jesus preached, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The Apostle Peter says, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like repentance means to walk in the opposite direction of the sins that, of the sins that you first walked in. Because it is impossible to follow God and go your own way. It's impossible. If you want to know what it looks like to live on mission, let me read verse 14 for you again. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That, folks, in one sentence, is a life on mission. God never wanted to be the Lord of your Sundays. He is supposed to be the Lord of your life. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones, called to live on mission. You are supposed to be weird and different, a resident alien here on earth. Dictated, corrected, walking in the Spirit led by the Holy Spirit, where he can speak into areas that you think, man, stay in your lane. He says, no, that is my lane. You are my lane. I own the highway. I own the highway. So wake up. Get up. Get dressed. Cast off sin and put on Christ. That is what it looks like to live a life on mission. Why don't you stand with me? Um, I um, maybe you're offended this morning. Maybe I made fun of your jammies a little bit too much. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. But if I did offend you, um, that's one thing. Please forgive me. Uh, Chew up the meat, spit out the bones. That's what I always say. I hope you do that every week. Um, but if the word of God is offending you, then you have a choice to make. And it's a very simple choice. I didn't say it's easy. It's just simple. You can choose to repent or ignore it. Like You can choose to follow God and follow his, his word, his ways, or follow yourself. And so I just want to encourage you as we, as we enter into a time of worship today. I have no clue what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about. You may feel like I'm speaking right at you. I, I, I am not speaking right at you. But I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us individually and appropriately. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, your job, your responsibility is to understand and perceive the season that you're in and what God is doing in it and to respond to it in obedience. And maybe you've been in this place before where he's called you to cast off something in order to lighten your load so that you can wear him. I want to I give you kind of like this, um, like a word picture here. Like sometimes, sometimes God can't put something in your hand because our hands are full of things that he's asked us to put aside. Let me say that one more time. I just feel like it's a prophetic vision for you. Like there are some times where, where we have our hands out, like, God, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm asking, I see what it is that you want, and I want that which you have. 
but he can't put something into our hands because our hands are full, clutching, grasping onto something that he's asked us to put aside. Are there things that you are refusing to give up? And you've been to this place before, and if you've been a Christian at any time, like you've been to the place where the alarm clock has gone off and you hit the snooze button. You woke up, you were aware, you heard his voice, you, you saw what he was doing and you didn't get up. You hit the snooze button and drifted back to sleep. Can I, can I give you encouragement and hope today? The beautiful thing that God gives us every day when we open our eyes is it's a brand new day. His, his, his joy his, is new every morning, isn't it? Which means, you're like, well, you don't understand. I've tried this. I've been here. I've done this. I'm just telling you, here's the beauty of, of following God. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day of your salvation. I know you've been putting it off. I know you've been thinking, I don't know. I'm going to check this thing out. Today is the day. He says, make the most of your time. Understand, perceive the season that you're currently in. The hour has already come. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Where have you fallen asleep? What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about? Is it in your marriage or your parenting and your finances? Is it in your prayer life? Is it in something that God has called you to be obedient in that, that you know he's calling you to do and you just refute, you just hit the snooze button? Maybe you've just been asleep to his presence in your life. As we worship here today, I wonder, I wonder if, if you would do something that you don't normally do. I want to encourage you to do that today. Maybe that means you come up here to the front. Maybe that means you, you just kneel at your seat. Maybe that means you just, for you, you don't raise your hands and you just raise your hands and surrender to Jesus today. I don't know what it is that God might have you do, but I just encourage you, just in the same way that understanding the time and waking up is very different than getting up and getting dressed. Sometimes God calls us to do something in the natural that signifies something in the spiritual, to make a decision, to say, today is the day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cast off that thing that God has called me to cast off. Or even today, God, I pray that I need a fresh clothing from power from on high in my life today. Lord, I pray that you would fill me fresh today. So as we sing this last song today, I just want to encourage each and every single one of you to respond, to not just hear the alarm going off and hit the snooze button, but to say, today, Lord, I give my life to you fresh. I give you that thing that I've been holding on to, that I've been clutching on to, that I know you've asked me to get rid of, and I choose today that I will go your way. Have your way in me, Jesus. Have your way, have your way in me. I just encourage you to do that as we open up in, in a time of, of worship. Whatever it is that you just feel God doing, I just wanna encourage you just maybe get out of your seat, do something that you don't normally do. Wake up, get up, and get dressed.